like you to take your Bibles and invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 12. And today we're going to look for a third time at the opening verses in this 12th chapter. And I didn't originally intend that we would spend so much time in these 14 verses. But the more that I got into this, the more that I realized how important this information is and how integral that it was to the crucifixion of Christ. And so I do believe this is worth a third message because it is so critical for us to understand how that Jesus went from the darling of the people to one that they wanted to uh, demonize and to kill. Now, we are 15 chapters away here in Matthew from the crucifixion, so we're less than halfway there after more than three years of study. But if you wanted to nail down, so to speak the reason that Jesus was nailed to the cross and what caused the Jewish people to be so determined to exterminate him and others to get rid of him, then you have to look into this chapter and find the activities of Jesus concerning the Sabbath day. And if Jesus' treatment of the Sabbath was the impetus for his death, and if this is what accelerated that negative response against him, then I do think it's worth our time to explore this passage and to understand why that the people did not receive him as the Messiah, as the Son of God, when there was so much proof, undeniable proof, that he truly was. And I think that's puzzling to most people because... There are some that think that if Jesus was here right now and if we could see the miracles that he did and observe the character of his life, if we could sense the compassion that was in him and to see that look of love that was in his eyes, then it would be so easy to believe in him. And if he was here today that so many more people would have received him as the Savior. But the truth of the matter is that none of that is sufficient to change people's attitude about Christ. Uh, If he was here today, the reaction to him would be the same. The Pharisees hated him because of the Sabbath. They despised him because he rocked their reputation as the undisputed champions of God's law. And it wouldn't be any different today because the hatred of him concerning the Sabbath would only be replaced by something else. Uh, We would choose something else to hate him for because... There's still that prejudice that's in the human heart against God. There's still that desire that every person has that we should be God and we don't want to, anyone to rule our lives. And there's still that refusal to believe that we are just spiritually helpless and that we are incapable of really understanding the deep sinfulness that's in each of us. And so we would just choose something else to hate him for because that is the natural disposition of the human heart. And I'll remind you of what's already been said back in the 11th chapter, verses 25 through 27, in which Jesus said that the understanding of him, realizing who he truly is as the Savior, is something that's granted by the Father. It's the good pleasure of God to reveal Christ to whomsoever he pleases. And so it's God that overcomes the stubbornness of the human heart. It's God that changes the will of man so that we really do understand who Jesus is. Miracles will never do that. Acts of compassion won't do it. Seeing him in the flesh will not do it. Audibly hearing his voice, if he could be here today, that will not do it. And that's because believing in Christ is a supernatural work of God that occurs on the inside of a person without any outside intervention. 
And so in short, we can say it is God's work to reveal Christ. Now, we want to go to the scriptures again and see the problems that arose because of what Jesus and his disciples did on the Sabbath day. Now, if you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's word. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples went hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered, and how they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it forth. And it was restored whole like the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. And we ask you, Lord, that you would be with us through this message. Help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the previous messages, we've already covered two and a half points of the outline that we have today. And there's a great deal of information that is in those parts. And if we're ever going to finish this message, I I really can't go back through all of that again. I, I will say that we are really happy to have visitors with us today. And if there is a downside to our pulpit ministry, and I say that Reservedly, if there's a downside to it, it would be this, that we exposit Scripture and we do that verse by verse. And as we do so, the Scripture becomes one long story with lots of interconnecting parts. And so the messages here are like a freight train. We have hundreds of cars that are attached to it. But we can only go so far in the time that we have in each of these services. And so we stop when we're finished and we unhook some of those cars. And then the next time we come back and we hook those up again where we left off. So I do want to help you out a little bit if you haven't been here. So we're going to backtrack just a little bit this morning in order to get your thinking uh, right according to this passage. Get us all on track, so to speak about where we are in the Gospel of Matthew, and and hopefully I'm done with the train metaphors with that. But what is it that we talked about previously? Well, in the first part of this outline, we talked about the principle of the Sabbath. And this is the crux of the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees, which was a commission of what the Pharisees considered to be an unlawful act on the Sabbath. And if you want to distill the, the heart of the Pharisaical system into one central issue... 
It would be things that are lawful to do and things that are not lawful to do on the Sabbath days. Now, of the Ten Commandments that God gave through Moses, the Pharisees had elevated this fourth commandment to be the determiner between righteousness and unrighteousness. Now, the fourth commandment is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that had actually become the measuring rod of a person's spirituality. The Sabbath was very important to these people because if you go through Scripture, you'll find many places where the Bible promises blessings upon the people if they would keep the Sabbath day. And then you'll also find that there are curses that would be placed upon them if they didn't keep the Sabbath day. And so the Sabbath was a day of worship, it was a day of rest, but what had happened is that in Israel's past, they had not been diligent about honoring the Sabbath. And so if you know a little bit about Old Testament history, then you know that the Jews went into captivity. They were conquered by the Assyrians. The northern ten tribes of Israel were conquered by them. Later on, the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin were conquered by the Babylonians, and they went into a captivity uh, with those people. And so this, this dishonoring of the Sabbath, the breaking of God's laws, had caused the Jews to lose their homeland. And this is why we find here, many years later, and actually hundreds of years later, that the Jewish people are now in, in slavery, so to speak, to the Roman Empire. And that was traced back to their breaking of God's commandments, and particularly this one concerning the Sabbath. Now, God, of course, expected that Israel would obey all of his commandments, and so when they turned their backs on God, God brought punishment to the nation, and now they have these foreign powers that occupy their territory. Next, we talked about the problem of the Sabbath, and that is that during the intertestamental period, that would be the time period from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New, there arose this sect of people that was called the Pharisees. And these people uh, had the intention that they would restore the observance of God's law, especially this one about the Sabbath, because they wanted to receive the blessings of God again on the nation. But what they failed to understand in this was that God did not want rote obedience to his law, but rather he wanted people to obey him because of a heart of faith. The righteousness of God is by faith, is what the word of God says. It doesn't come through human effort. It's not what things we do for God. It's what God has done for us through the sacrifice of Christ. But the Pharisees determined that they actually could be in favor with God, through their own efforts. And so they had developed this system of self-righteousness, and at the center of that self-righteous system was the observance of the Sabbath day. And so they had invented hundreds of nitpicky laws to go along with the Sabbath. There were so many of them, in fact, that it would take years of study to master them all just to learn all the little nuances that were in their laws what was acceptable and what was not acceptable to do on the Sabbath day. But if you look into this, you'll find that the Word of God shows us that God had only one command for the Sabbath, and that was rest. That's what the word Sabbath means. It means cessation. And so they were to cease from their work. They were to use the Sabbath as a day of worship and a day of rest. And I think that you could understand that if you had perverted the meaning of the Sabbath into a means of salvation, then by all means, you would have to determine what is work and what is not work. You would surely want to know that. 
And from that came all of these hundreds of laws explaining what is work and what is not work. And so if you can be right with God by not working on the Sabbath, then friends, you had better find out what it means to work. And so thus you have the problem between Jesus and the Pharisees. In the beginning of chapter 12, the disciples were walking through a wheat field on the Sabbath day, and they were hungry. And so they began to pluck the heads of wheat, and they took them in their hands, and they rubbed them together, and they separated the wheat from the chaff, the kernels from the chaff, blew the chaff away, and then they began to eat those kernels. That gave us the third point of the outline, and that is the profaning of the Sabbath. Pharisees saw this, and they said, you have broken the Sabbath. They said to Jesus, what you have and your disciples have done, you have picked the wheat, you have reaped it, you have sifted it, you have threshed it, you have grinded it, you have winnowed it, and thus you have worked. And so you and your disciples have broken the Sabbath. And they took all of that out of just pulling off a head of wheat, rubbing it in your hands, and blowing it away. All of that is work. Well, the huge point of contention here is that if Jesus were truly the Messiah, then there's one thing the Messiah would do, and that is he would uphold God's law. And so if Jesus broke the Sabbath, then that means he couldn't be the Messiah. Now, do you see the problem developing here? It all comes down to this. The Sabbath is the crux of their religious system. Everything rises and falls on what you can do on the Sabbath day. And when Jesus ignored their interpretation of it, then he drove a dagger into the heart of that system. And even worse, and more importantly, he defied their authority even to institute such a system. And so when Jesus defied their authority, he began to teach them rightly about it. And that's the way that Jesus is. He, he never let these false accusations stand, but it's always his method to take the scriptures and to give the right interpretation of them. And isn't that the same problem that we face today? There is a false Christianity that has arisen out of ignorance and misinterpretation of scripture. And folks, that is why we are so concerned in Berean Baptist Church that we preach from the Bible. And we're unlike a lot of churches that just barely mention the Bible when preachers get up to preach. We do not believe that the Bible is antiquated. We do not believe that the Bible cannot be understood. We do not believe that there's a better way to preach that doesn't include the Bible. And so if we practice anything, if we believe anything, if we place our hope in anything, it is in the infallible, inspired Word of God. You see, the knowledge of Scripture is what the Bible says is the way that we have salvation. Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so what do you think that Jesus would do to back up his claim that he had not profaned the Sabbath? What would he do? Jesus went to the word of God. Now, here's where we're going to hook our train back up from last week because our last point in the message last week is that Christ is superior to the sanctuary. Jesus went to the Word of God and he reminded them about this Old Testament story of David. And I love the way that Jesus does this. The Pharisees said, it's not lawful to pick heads of grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus comes back with verse number 3 to the Word of God, and he says, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered and they that were with him? Have you not read? 
And that was a shot across the bow because Jesus challenged them on their understanding of the Scripture. Of course they had read this. They knew this, but they ignored it. They obscured it. They never considered it when they were setting up their perverted ideas about the Sabbath. It was not their habit that they would include anything that had the potential to expose their aberrant teachings. And that's why Jesus brought this up. And folks, this hasn't changed. That's why the Bible is ignored in many churches today, because to study the Bible is to find out what God really said. And when you find out what God says, it destroys man-made doctrines. And so Jesus brought up David when he was hungry on the Sabbath day. David went to the priest at the tabernacle and asked them for bread to eat. And the only bread that they had was the special holy bread that they baked every week and put it into the tabernacle. And the Bible said specifically that the only ones that could touch that bread and eat that bread were those priests when they replaced it every week. And yet David came to the tabernacle and he was hungry and he asked for that. And so Jesus showed them here that God is more concerned with human need than he is about these rules of the sanctuary. God was not going to say, it's all right for people to starve when he knew that there was bread in the tabernacle that they could eat. Well, since Jesus was God, he had the right to do at the Sabbath what he wanted to do. The Pharisees' law about eating heads of wheat on the Sabbath was not superior to what people actually need. And so his question to the Pharisees actually becomes this. Do you love people more than you love your rules? And then Jesus goes on in verse number 5, bringing up another example. And he says, the priests are guilty of profaning the Sabbath, but they're blameless. Now there he had in mind the offering of sacrifices. The priest would... On the Sabbath days, would kill the sacrifices. They would bleed it. They would collect the blood. As they did, they would get this blood all over them. And they would wash themselves off. They would clean themselves up. Then they would build a fire at the altar. They would hoist up the animal to put him on that altar and burn it. And then when they were through, they would collect the remains. All of that's done on the Sabbath. Was that work? Well, according to the Pharisees' definition, it was work. And so it must have been unlawful. But they had no explanation. How could the priests do that and yet remain blameless? And so Jesus pinned them down. And at the end of this story, they reluctantly cry, Uncle. But instead of admitting that he was right and they were wrong, what did they do? They went out and they sought counsel. They got together and decided, how are we going to kill him? Well, we move on into verse number 8, and Jesus makes a stunning statement here that infuriated them. He said, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, there's our second point, that Christ is superior to the Sabbath. Folks, there are so many ways that Jesus declared himself to be God, and we keep running across these kinds of statements in Scripture. Some of them are very direct like the ones that we find in John chapter 1, where the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't get any more direct than that. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And that was a statement of his deity. So he claimed to be God, even though there are some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. 
Well, here in verse number 8, we find another of those statements where Jesus claimed to be God because he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now, what do you think that they thought of that? Who is Lord over the Sabbath? The only one who can be is the one who gave the Sabbath in the very beginning. This is what God said through Moses. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God is the one who gave the law. He commanded it to be obeyed. And so who has authority over it? God has that authority. And so when Jesus said he was the Lord of the Sabbath, he was saying, this is my day. I'm the one who gave it. I'm the one who's the author of the law. And so he says, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not qualified to speak on the Sabbath. This day is my day. Now, folks, I want you to understand something here, that this was huge because the Sabbath was at the very heart of their system. They are experts on that system, but they were wrong. And so by attacking their interpretation of the Sabbath, he's saying, in effect, that the whole system that you invented is satanic from the top to the bottom. This is an attack upon God himself. And so he said, I'm God, you're not God. And you can understand why that Jesus said this in John chapter 8. He said, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that heareth God heareth my words. Therefore ye hear them not, because ye are not of God. Is that... that some kind of statement of Jesus' power and authority with the word of God. I am God and yet you're accusing me. He says, which of you convinceth me of sin? And isn't that what they're trying to do here in Matthew 12? They said he sinned because he broke the Sabbath. But they're not the lords of the Sabbath. They're not the interpreters of God's law. They are of the devil. And so whatever they said that Jesus did wrong, they had no way to back it up. They couldn't go to the scriptures because the scripture didn't agree with them. And here is God himself looking them in the eye and saying, you're wrong about this. Now, folks, that takes us then to the last observation, and that is the point that's made by the Savior. We do want to get to the point. Why is all of this in the scripture? What is Jesus trying to tell us? And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. Now, we need to hold on to our seats here for a moment because things are going to get a little bit rough for these people called the Pharisees. This discussion so far has taken place out of doors. Jesus had just come through the wheat field with the disciples and all of this interchange that's going on between Jesus and the Pharisees was within the hearing of the people. And Jesus was not content to leave it at this He was not going to walk away without words of explanation. And so he illustrates. And this is something Jesus always loved to do. He always loved to illustrate, to give a demonstration of truth. And so here he's going to give a live demonstration about who is right concerning the Sabbath. So he didn't let the situation cool down, but he moved it into the synagogue. 
And there in the synagogue, there was a man waiting that turned out to be the living demonstration of the right principle, of the godly principle concerning the Sabbath. Verse number 10 says, And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? Now, some people say, well, this was a setup. The Jews had planted this man in the synagogue, and he was there in order to trap Jesus. Well, there isn't really any evidence of that, but instead I believe that God is the one who put this man here. He was there at just the right time. Jesus, being God, knew that he would be there. He knows all things. And he knew what the Pharisees intended to do with this man. So how are the Pharisees going to use healing on the Sabbath against Jesus? Well, I think it's an interesting point, really, because it feeds back into their interpretation of the Sabbath. Here's a man who is not in a life-and-death situation. Now, we're going back into some of those nitpicky nuances of the law that they had added, and what they said was that if you have a person that's dying on a Sabbath day, then you could help him. But if he's not in a life situation, life, uh, life-threatening situation, if he's sick then you shouldn't help him. You leave him alone because that would be work. Well, here, it's not a life or death situation. So they, they, they come to Jesus and they ask them, well, is it lawful to heal that man on the Sabbath? Now think about who these great religious people are. They, they have a man here who means nothing at all to them. They didn't care about him. He's probably someone who showed up at the synagogue often. They were very much acquainted with him. They knew that he had the withered hand. They knew he had these problems, but they weren't really concerned about him. They didn't care about his need. He was a means to trap Jesus. And if they could do that, then, they, then he served their purpose. That's all that they really cared about. So they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus knew their intent, and he was prepared for that. And so in verse 11, he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? Now here we see God's intent for the Sabbath. And we want to explain that just a little bit. Their law evidently had this exception. There were some things that they were allowed to do on the Sabbath. Now remember again, they have all of these ins and outs. They have exceptions. They have special cases. It was dizzying just trying to figure out all of that. But evidently there is something in their law that they make an exception for. And that is if you have a sheep and he wanders off and he falls into a pit somewhere, then it's okay for you to go and get your sheep out. Now do you see something wrong here? I mean, their interpretation of the law says, you can't help a man on the Sabbath. You can't heal anybody on the Sabbath. Not somebody that's in a, not in a life-threatening situation. But you can do this. If your sheep falls into a pit, you can go get it. Now, he starts to expose the heart of these people, these, these false religionists. Because what they had in their mind were things like money. Isn't that, isn't that pervasive in the Christian world, Christian world today, money? I mean, how many times do you hear preachers on television pleading for money? Give us your money. Give us this. Give us that. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to have everything. Where do you find that in the Scripture? 
That's the heart of man that speaks that way. That's the material heart of man that desires all of that. And this is part of the pharisaical system. They loved money. So what is this? This is an economic situation. You may have a hundred sheep, but if one of them falls into a pit and you lose that sheep, what happens? You've lost money. And so it's all right for you to get your sheep out of the pit. Now, Jesus knew that stuff. He knew all about their laws. He didn't have to study this for years to find out every detail, all the nuances of it. And so what he does then, he takes this and he hammers them one more time on their ridiculous interpretations. He says, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on Sabbath days. Does that remind you of the ridiculousness of man-made religion? You can go to India today, and there are people that are starving, kids that are dying of malnutrition, people that are emaciated, and walking through their yard is a cow. And they won't touch that cow because that cow is one of their gods. And so that cow is more important than people. Now, it's no different here. A sheep was more valuable to the Pharisees than a man. And that gives you an idea of just how upside down they were. Here you have a legal system that has no compassion. It's the very antithesis of the heart of Jesus who explained all of God's law with two simple statements. Let me give that to you. Let me pull something out of the 22nd chapter of Matthew that kind of helps us to understand this. In Matthew 22, verse 35, it says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, I want you to understand that a lawyer there is a person, not just a lawyer, but it means the highest expert of the law, someone who knew all the details, someone who had studied it intricately. This is the best that they have. So this lawyer comes and asks him a question, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, knowing the Pharisee system and what we've learned here in Matthew 12, the answer to that question, according to the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Probably would have been the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Somehow everything is going to interconnect with that commandment. Now, if you read the very same story in Mark, it tells us there that the lawyer, uh, Jesus answered the question, and the lawyer said, well, you've answered well. But you learn very quickly by reading it that his sincerity was in question. Now, in verse 37, Jesus said to him, you want to know what the uh, most important part of the law is? Here's what he says. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus brings in the entirety of God's law and he boils it down to this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now we understand that first part pretty well, I think. Love God. We think, well, we know how to love God. We can accept that. That's not much of a problem. But the second part is where Jesus drives home the illustration of Matthew 12. What is second to God in his universe? Second is man. Now, it's not that man is just a notch below God, just a little bit less than God. That's not what I mean. I mean that highest on the list of God's priorities behind his own glory is this. That is that we are to love our fellow man. 
God has this creature called man that he has created, and the Bible says that God loves him. And if you doubt that, read John 3.16 ten times. And if you still wonder about it, read it ten more times until you get it. But this is where the Pharisees fell so far short. God loves man, and they didn't. They loved laws. Their laws exceeded man. The law was more important to them than man, which shows that they had missed God's meaning in the law. Now, the Ten Commandments are very simple. Love God and love man. And each of God's commandments relate directly to those principles. What we do is we often divide the Ten Commandments into two sections. We take the first four and say this is about loving God, and we take the next six and this is about loving your fellow man. Remember the Sabbath day falls within the first four. That is laws concerning love for God. But even in the laws concerning love for God, we see that God has man in mind. He gave the Sabbath day as a day of rest and worship, and that was for the good of man. So the Bible is teaching us here that God loves people. And the Pharisees showed how much they were unlike God. They were certainly unlike Jesus. And so if they were unlike him, they must be unlike God because he is God. He loved men and they didn't. So Jesus cared nothing at all about their foolish interpretations. Right here in the synagogue, we find out what happens next in verse 13. Then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth and it was restored whole like as the other. I hate to keep putting this in harsh terms, but as Jesus showed his compassion on this man with the withered hand, at the same time he punched the Pharisees in the face. Here they are, standing and watching this. The people see it, the exchange is going back and forth. The Pharisees ask the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And when that man stretched out his hand and Jesus healed him and he's made whole, what do you think the people think of this exchange? Is it lawful to do something good on the Sabbath? Well, no question about it. The people are now thinking, of course it is. Who would dare think otherwise? And you consider for just a moment the tenuous position that the Pharisees are now in because their trap has now become their own snare. The people had no idea what the Pharisees had ultimately in mind. I mean, their desire, trap Jesus, find a reason that they can kill him because he violated their Sabbath laws. They didn't know this. All they saw is that Jesus healed somebody. He did the right thing. He honored God. He didn't profane the Sabbath. He did what God would expect to be done on the Sabbath, even what God would command to be done on the Sabbath. And so what is God's intent for his day? Help people, love people, have compassion on them, because people are more important than rules. People are more important than money. God loves people, and so should we. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, one more consideration to finish up the exposition of this passage. Verse 14 says, Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. And we're going to take up that verse in connection with the next section in the next message. But for now, we want to look at Jesus' intent for the people. There's a lesson here. What is it that Jesus is trying to teach? What does he want people to get out of this? 
Well, there's certainly the object lesson involved. They should be actively engaged in acts of kindness and mercy on the Sabbath day. And that's a good lesson for all of us here. Question yourself, what do you use God's day for? What are you using God's day for? Thankfully, you're here today to worship him, but what do you do on most Sundays? Are you here worshiping him or somewhere worshiping him or are you using the day for yourself? What are you doing? Are you helping people? Are you concerned about people? But there's a much larger issue that is involved here. Now we have to look at the entire purpose of the Gospel of Matthew. Why are we given this Gospel concerning Jesus Christ? What has what Matthew written this for? Well, it's to show us, as we've learned, that Jesus is the Messiah that came from God. It's to show us that we have life in him. And doesn't it show us that what we must do is to repent of our sins and place our faith in him, stop going our own way, and follow the path that Jesus walked, do what he did, believe in him as the Savior. And so here you see the intent for the people. Is he trying to draw out here an attitude towards the man that was healed? Well, he was in a way. Should they do good for this man or should they not? Is he trying, is that the real thing that he's trying to get out of this that's a part of it but there's a much much deeper issue involved here it's not what will you do with this man the important question is what are you now going to do with Jesus he's just confronted the Pharisees he's just hit their religion squarely in the head so are the Pharisees right or is Jesus right and so which of the two should you be following Well, the Pharisees were hypocritical about this. They made a case out of corn and about helping a man with a withered hand. They pretended to be holy, but what's the motive? Well, their motive was they were looking for a way to kill Jesus. I mean, that's the trap that they set. They wanted to trap him, kill him, and get rid of him. They wanted to commit murder while Jesus wants to save people alive for eternity. So do you get the picture? You take your stubbornness and your rejection and your love of sin and you consider that all of that is the cause of the murder of Jesus. And so the question becomes for you as it was for them, what are you now going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do now that you've seen him and you've heard him? What are you going to do with him? Now do you understand this, that having Jesus present personally is not the cause of belief. We addressed that in the very beginning of the message. We have the record of God's word, and this is the way that you are born again. Do you believe what the word says about Jesus? And if you don't, then the only thing that keeps you in unbelief is this pharisaical notion that you know more than God. See, Jesus is not just Lord of the sanctuary. He's not just Lord of the Sabbath. But Jesus is your Lord. And according to Scripture, now is the time to believe it. The Pharisees rejected him, and guess what? There are no more Pharisees. Not these kind, at least. They're not around today. They rejected him. And I want to tell you now, don't be guilty of doing the very same thing. Trust him. Trust what he says before he says to you, Depart from me. You are a sinner and I want nothing to do with you. That'll happen one day. It happens to all of those who have not received him as Savior. 
And that's the important question for everybody here today. You've heard the message. You know who Jesus is. Now what are you going to do with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence now and we have this important pressing question that's on our minds. The gospel of Jesus Christ is presented. He is the Savior of the world, the one who came to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. We've stated that in the message. We've heard it in song today. We've heard it prayed about. And now the question is, what are we going to do with what we've heard? What will we do with Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would impress it on someone's heart today to receive him as Savior. Stop the rejection. Stop turning their backs on him but to receive him now as Lord and Savior into their hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray that you would speak to people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.